0: Breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority. Improving and saving lives. All right, before I introduce my guest on this particular episode, I have to admit I had a little snafu on my audio. Please forgive me as I ended up recording all of my guests' comments and only some of mine, and a lot of mine got left out. So it may seem a little unnatural, but I'm hoping that I captured and uh, made most of it sound okay because there's a lot of great content here and uh, I de- definitely didn't want to waste my guest's time by redoing this episode. So again, please forgive me. I hope it's a, uh, an enjoyable episode and I hope that I salvaged the meat and potatoes of the content for the, for the show. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day. I'm John McCaskill. My guest today is Benef Shevarell or Benef. Benef is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel with 20 years of active duty service. She graduated from the United States Military Academy, West Point in 1997 and has a master's of science in physical geography from the University of Maryland. She spent 10 years as a military police officer and 10 years as an information operations officer. As a retiree, Benef remains passionate about educating service members of the benefits mindfulness practices have on the mind and body. She's trained to teach trauma-sensitive yoga and served the last two years on the board of directors for Warriors at Ease, a nonprofit organization that brings mindfulness practices to the military and veteran communities. She's an iRest, or Integrative Restoration, meditation teacher and advocates to have mindfulness practices as part of a regular resiliency program that starts in basic training and continues throughout a service member's career. Benef continues to serve as a spouse and retiree through volunteering in the community advocating for mindfulness practices in the military, educating senior leaders about the benefits of mindfulness, meditation and yoga, and mentoring service members and spouses. She is the author of military and mindful, eight essential elements to manage your military career and motherhood, which I have a copy of right here. She conducts workshops based on her book and teaches service members breathing techniques, meditation and yoga postures they can do on their own. Welcome to the show Benef.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you for reaching out to me. I saw your uh, one of your posts on LinkedIn and I, I commented on it and you reached right out. and I'm so grateful. Yeah.
0: Well, I was very thankful for the comment. How have you been?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah. So I'm uh, here in Japan. Daytime for me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, for our listeners, with Benef being a West Point grad and me being an Annapolis grad, I'll try to make it through the show with minimal Go Navy Beat Army statements. But that's really tough because I'm doing this on video and right above her head is a sign that says eat, drink, and beat Navy. But I'll let that kind of fall by the wayside. So before we get into our questions, I'm starting every show by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and why we're doing this show. Not so much this particular episode, but the podcast in general. Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. P-A-T-H, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Okay, that all said, we'll jump right into our questions. For our audience, I started the show with the brief bio, which you heard, and we'll get into this in more detail here in a second and throughout the show, but can you tell us all a little that may not be in your bio? So kind of what you're doing now, where you're living, what you do for fun, family makeup, that kind of stuff?
1: Oh, well, that's a really good question right off the bat. Uh, let's see. Well, I, I'm still really passionate about serving the military community, um, even though I'm retired and I'm not working uh, like a regular job right now. But as a, a spouse and as a retiree, I still really deeply care about soldiers. And that's just something I want to continue to do is to just help them in any way that I can. And also, I I have a passion around bridging the gap between the military and civilian populations, uh, educating the the civilian populations about what we do in the military, who we are. But on the same on the flip side, I've realized that I myself am kind of—I live in a, on an army post, so I am isolated actually from civilian populations or, or, or populations that aren't directly affiliated with the military. So I myself need to educate um, and learn, you know, more about just people that aren't associated with the military.
0: Awesome. Well, with the bio out of the way and the quick scene setter questions out of the way, I do want to get into more depth here in a second, but. First, I want to take a quick pause to put in a plug for our sponsors. All right, welcome back. We're continuing my conversation with retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Benef Burrell. Benef, you retired from the Army after 20 years. What can you tell us about your career?
1: You know, I... There were times that I enjoyed it immensely and other times that I didn't. Um, and I think that's probably how everyone feels. But I will say that I always felt like I was uh, improving, transforming, progressing, and learning a lot. And definitely from my soldiers, uh, from my NCOs, from other officers, I sort of felt like every job that I went into, like I had this, I have no idea what I'm doing. like. The imposter syndrome was huge, and and so I relied heavily on on my people to to train me, to guide me, um, and that was one of the reasons I stayed in because I had thought about getting out numerous times. In fact, I had put in my paperwork and around the. Uh, maybe it was like around the 10 year mark, maybe just before. And uh, I was done. Like I was, I was going to be done, but it was actually the the people that worked for me. I had um, civilians, I had soldiers, and I also had contractors that convinced me to stay in um, because they appreciated uh, my leadership. And so I was like that from that moment on, I switched from like just having this mindset of like, ah, people annoy me. To like, ah, oh, I really love people. I have so much to learn from everyone that I come uh, in, you know, interact with. And so that changed my whole outlook, my whole perspective. Um, and and I realized that the greatest thing about the army is its people.
0: And the same is true about the navy. And, and quite honestly, I would imagine any service uh, that the the best part about the the job is the people. So. You're a mom, you were a service member and you're married to a service member. I, I was gonna ask what are some difficulties you face in your career, but I think the entire career sounds like it was a challenge. But even that being considered, what what do you think was your toughest challenge in your military career?
1: Yeah, well for me it was that I I honestly felt like I didn't know what to do. So we get assigned to a different job like every two or three years. And of course, I don't, you know, I've never been to this location. Um, I don't know these people and I'm learning a new job. And so I just felt that they were going to know or see that, oh my gosh, she has no idea what the hell she's doing. Why, how did she get here? Why is she even like in the military? Um, And then that I was just going to be a failure. Um, And so I would Learn to um, hide that and have this air of confidence. But inside, I was really terrified. A lot of fear, a lot of fear, which I had to, didn't always deal with. um, I mean, I would say on my mindfulness journey, I I learned how to deal with that uh, better (laughs) or just uh, learn to use fear as a tool rather than trying to to run away from everything. But uh, yeah, real, and even it continued on, like after uh, retirement. I mean, of course I'm more aware of this now, but when I thought that I wanted to start um, a business and take the entrepreneurship route, that imposter syndrome was there as well because I'd never done anything like that before. I'd always had a team of supporters around me. Uh, the military is familiar, even though I was going to different places and different jobs, the, just the structure is familiar. So here, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, and I was trying to start a travel business, I was completely on my own. And that was scary. So just learning to deal with the fear um, Any time we move into a new phase in our lives is uh, is challenging.
0: So that fear, that thought or feeling that you didn't belong or you didn't know what you are doing, um, how did you deal with that called imposter syndrome? How did you deal with that?
1: Early in my career, um, probably like, you know, West Point, Lieutenant, Captain days, I I didn't do so well with it. I mean, I, I clearly did well at, at my job, but I, w- I it was internally tearing me up. I would say I put a lot of stress on myself to be perfect, um, and I had a lot of negative self talk. Uh, if if I didn't felt feel like I had made those uh, goals or what I, the bar that I had set for myself, I mean, even something as simple as uh, at the captain's career course, we had to play flag football or something it was some sort of like you know and I put this pressure on myself to catch the ball and when I dropped it you know I it was just of course I would drop it because I can't catch it. you know I had like this immediate like negative spiral and I went back to my room but I was crying over not catching this damn ball like come on and I would think about stuff like that little stuff like that for days uh just ruminating on it so and um you know that's not helpful. And I didn't realize at the time that that was harmful to me. And I would have thoughts of, oh, you know, I suck. Um, I am, you know, terrible. I'm a failure. And so it it wasn't until uh, West, I was teaching at West Point. So this was 2008. Um, And I was a major, I think, at this point. And I had my, my son and then my daughter. And... When I went to uh, the, my first ever yoga retreat, and uh, in upstate New York, in Rhinebeck, New York, at, at the Omega Institute, and so that was when I began to realize uh, that I had a choice, and that I actually didn't have to be angry all the time. I didn't have to uh, to be mad at myself, just learning that I, I had a choice to be compassionate, uh, I had a choice to think differently. It It's just sparked a little bit of curiosity and that's that curiosity sort of that spiraled. But that was when, oh, okay. No, I mean, it wasn't like instantaneously, I am now uh, compassionate with myself and this person that has all this self love. Like, no, it didn't happen overnight by any means. There was still many, many more years of growth. And transformation, but it was like, okay, I have a choice, and I started to do more reading uh, about about yoga, about uh, meditation, about mindfulness practices, and then just starting to practice them, and then eventually going to the yoga teacher training in two thousand and twelve, where that that was like huge.
0: You know, I, I think it's funny. I think a lot of us have that that Type A personality that that. Um, we beat ourselves up, we try to be perfect. And in doing that, we actually make ourselves less perfect or, or not less perfect, but, uh, worse off. And, uh, and we set ourselves up for failure, just like you mentioned in that, in that ball game. Um, funny enough, uh, you know, I played adult kickball with, (laughs) with my wife and my wife's a superstar athlete. And, uh, and so is her sister. And they were both on this team. And, uh, you know, I felt that when I was brought onto this kickball team because I was an officer in the military and because I was this big bad Navy SEAL, that I needed to perform to a level higher but higher than anybody else on the field, which was ridiculous because I hadn't played kickball or baseball even since, I don't know, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And uh, so it was uh, impossible for me to perform well. And then as soon as the ball was kicked my way or whatever, I had that negative self-talk, just like you mentioned, and I beat myself up, but that carries on in, in life much larger than, you know, the softball field or the, or the uh, kickball field. And uh, I think it's great that you've gotten it under control uh, and, and you've found a way to, to handle it. Switching subjects really fast, I, I wanted to talk about how you dealt with being gone from your children and then juggling uh, being part of a dual military family and how you felt when you were stationed in different places at different times,
1: I would say that initially, I probably didn't deal with it all that well. Um, we, uh, <laughs> the first time that I was really separated from my children was uh, when I went to the Information Operations Basic Course at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So, but up until then, I, my husband was the one that was away. He was he was at Fort Drum while I was at West Point. Um, and actually, when I was at grad school before West Point, he was at Fort Leavenworth going to I, going through ILE. So we were apart for about four and a half years. Well, my son was born during that time when he was at ILE and I was in grad school. Um, and then my daughter was born while I was at West Point. So they were both born essentially when we were apart. So a single parent geographically and then trying to teach um, and again, imposter syndrome, huge <laughs> to teach, feeling like I had to perform every day for the, for the cadets. And then he deployed. So he was at Fort Drum. He deployed and the 12 months, turned into 15. Uh, so yeah, that, that, at that point, I felt like God had brought me to my knees because I was alone and uh, feeling like I wasn't doing well at work because I just didn't have the energy to put into class preparation, so I was like one question deep. Like if they asked me <laughs> question two or three, I was like, I don't know. So please don't ask any questions. And then when I was at when I was at home, now I'm like stressed out because I haven't prepared for work. So constantly, just like not present. I was either thinking about work or worrying about my kids, um, and it was really, really really hard and I had this mentality that I had to figure it out uh I had to uh get it done like I you you, you know I'm in the army we just get it done and so I didn't want to ask anyone for help because then that would mean that I couldn't do it on my own and that I was again a failure and um yeah, I mean, I was in this amazing community. Uh, the people at West Point—they're—they're just—they. Everyone was kind. I just didn't ask anyone for help, so I would be angry at them. Not that that I was expecting them to help me, but just angry because they seemed so happy. Like everyone was happy. Their husbands weren't deployed, um, so they had all this great family time, and I was just. Sucking, and it, I mean, I just I could not physically go on anymore. Um, I was starting to get sick. Of course, my son would be sick every every week. Uh, the, I call the uh, the what is it? The Child Development Center, the Center for Disease. Situation. Yeah, because he would be sick every Friday. And so now I'm like, I have to ask someone to help me because they're calling me. I, it's like right before I was supposed to teach class. Hey, your son is sick. You need to come again I'm like, uh, can't so I had to start asking for help. Um, there just wasn't any way to, to do it otherwise. And that's when I, my boss, she was like kind, you know, and and she was like, you need help. Um, you know, talked about au pairs or nannies. And so I ended up getting an au pair. And so slowly I I began to learn that, um, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. I I have to get over my uh, pride and, and start asking people for help. And, and that it became easier the, the more I did it, and, and realized that people actually do want to help. I mean, the worst they could say is no, but they probably won't. They'll probably say if I if I can't. If they say no, then they'll offer or they'll know someone who can help or another solution. And it just wasn't. It was scary to ask for help. Like, why is that scary? I know it was. I had to get a fear again. The fear that you know that I was going to look they're going to look at me like a burden.
0: But you obviously weren't a burden and eventually you found some help and this help came in the form of a retreat. Did somebody tell you about this retreat?
1: No, I don't know how I found out about that retreat. That is such a good question. I cuz I've been and I couldn't even in the book like I was like I don't know how I found out about that to and that it was that close and it was easy. Um no, but I know that it, somehow that uh, I found out about it, and and, uh, and I went, and and it was with Sean Corn, who I love, and just listening to her it sparked that the the, the, the curiosity to want to learn more, and so um, to the point where I did go to Kripalu for the two hundred hour yoga teacher training, and and it was there that I learned to be fully present, like what that means to be fully present in the moment. And it changed my quality of life because before I was either obsessed about something that I perceived as a failure in the past, like dropping the ball or some other nonsense like that, uh, or worried about what was gonna happen in the future, but never really um, there. And so I would, like there are entire times of my life that I don't remember. Like, like I mean, most of West Point, like. Where the heck was I? I don't know. But people will be like, "Oh yeah, we had this class," and I'm like, I don't even remember attending class. Probably because I was stressed out about some boy, <laughs> or or some test that I, you know, I didn't do well on or was gonna take. Um, so just learning to actually be present. And and I'll tell you, I used to uh, not like listen to people. So if they uh, would start talking and I would make this assessment, like within 30 seconds that what they were saying was not of interest to me, I would stop listening. And then and then I would like pop back in and be like, are they, you know, no, it's still boring. You know, it just like totally like zone out. And so I realized that uh, the, like the meditation practices that we did uh, and all the exercises that we did at the yoga teacher training made me realize how different it was to be present in the moment, and how much I was missing uh, because I wasn't fully aware of you know where I was uh, and um, what was going on around me. So that that changed everything. And then just coming back to the military, and now listening to to people that are talking to me and listening to the to what they're actually saying, you know, for better or for worse, <laughs> I was listening, uh, and 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 being more careful about my own speech. Uh, because now I, I, I have the understanding of of the words that, that I use, I actually have meaning and have impact and just being more careful about the words that I choose to use, even when I'm talking, but also when I'm thinking, because the, those meditation practices made me more aware of my own thoughts. Because before I thought, I, I, I have no idea. I mean, I, we, the, the thoughts just go and they could take me to this downward spiral in 20 seconds or less and I would be there for hours. And now I, I was meditating this morning and I was feeling, you know, just kind of blah. And I, I started to go down. I, I felt myself starting thinking like, oh, you suck. And I'm like, no, stop stop, stop. You know, I just say that in my head and I get back to the breath. So I'm just much more aware of it. It's not like I don't have thoughts like that. But now I'm aware of it and it's it, I stop it now, you know, immediately. And that's the difference with these mindfulness practices. I, I'm definitely um, aware of my triggers. <laughs> So I could, cause I, I just aware of like my body, like I, oh, my temperature's rising. I'm starting to tense up. Like I'm getting irritated with my daughter or with my son, you know? And my husband, he cues up on it now too. Cause sometimes I still don't want to ask for help. Like, please help me with the dishes, you know? Like everyone's sitting watching, you know, on their iPads. And I'm like, there's a kitchen full of dishes. Somebody help me, you know? But I, they can't read minds. You know, and, and, and so I'm getting angry because no one's helping me. And I'm like, dishes. is like, clearly they must hear me in here. And then I realized this. I'm like, oh, I need to I need to ask because they don't know. And and I noticed. So also after retirement, um, I did struggle with uh, the loss of the uniform, just loss of, in the military. And a lot of people deal with it. They didn't tell me that was going to happen, like in the transition assistance program. That would have been nice, but I wasn't prepared. Um, And so I did go through a bit of a funk and just having that awareness of, okay, I've been in this weird funk mode for a few months now. I've been binge watched, you know, all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy, not, you know, within like four weeks or whatever, which is a, you know, it's a very depressing show to begin with. But um, I'm, I'm not feeling, you know, the joy that I thought I would be feeling. And and so just having that awareness um, helped me to realize that I, I could reach out for help. And in fact, my one of my dad's colleagues or someone that he knew was uh, she was recertifying her coaching degree and asked if I wanted some free coaching and I was like yes yes please I I need this please help me and so I was able to get help that way um, and then once we got to Japan I noticed that I was bored <laughs> and I because uh, I just you know I mean I was volunteering but um, that. I, just, I felt like I didn't have enough to do. Maybe I was just so used to being busy. And so, I, but I enjoyed having the freedom. So uh, maybe, you know, I didn't realize it was bored. Maybe I just enjoyed having freedom. And I was like, I'll just have a drink because I can. It's noon and I don't have anywhere to go. And so I noticed I started drinking more and earlier in the day. And I, I, I would... See the it's like outside of myself. I was aware of these thoughts, like, you know, these like two gin and tonics just aren't doing it anymore. Like, should I add more gin? You know, like, like or maybe uh, you know, just have more. I, like, these are thoughts that I and I'm aware that this is happening. And I was like, like, okay, no. <laughs> After uh, I think I. Some friends and I had each had a bottle of wine. So we went through, each of us had our own bottle of wine one night and I woke up, hung over. My friend had, her car was still parked behind me and I had to get my daughter to the bus for softball and and it's a carport. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out? And I had to move everything out of the carport and do like this 75 point like turn And at that point, I was like, "Okay, please God, help me. This cannot go on." I I recognized that you know that I had a problem, and um, I started the one year no beer, and I just got control of it. And but but I you know it was I was bored. I don't have anything to do, so I might as well drink. I mean, like you know. Just, but the aware, I think the meditation and just being aware that, that alcohol, I was thinking more about it, like excited about the, the, the types of liquor that were available and like, what was I going to drink tonight? You
0: know? Okay, so now you're retired, you've hung up the uniform, you're dealing with loss of that uniform, you're dealing with uh, boredom, uh, a lot of drinking, um, you had the skills of meditation at what point did you think, okay, you know what, I need to start using these skills that I've been taught? Yeah,
1: it, it was tough because I would, I, honestly, I don't, a meditation as a daily practice didn't happen until 2017 because I, I could not, at first, for a while, I didn't get it. Uh, I thought I had to be doing something <laughs> and I'm like, nothing's happening. I'm just sitting here. Uh, and so unless someone you know, was leading us through a meditation at like a yoga class or something, I wouldn't just sit in silence. Like, no, that's, (laughs) I can't do that. Uh, And, and, you know, and I, now I advocate for people to sit for two minutes, but it was like pain, torture to sit for two minutes. But that's how I started. And when I went to um, the Warriors at Ease level two training, uh, and where they were teaching us different practices, how to deal with people that uh, have had trauma, and how to teach them. That's when I started uh, just trying to do two minutes a day. So until then, it was it was a real struggle. And I, and I will say that I don't know that with uh, that I got the full full benefits of mindfulness practices without the meditation. So I would certainly do yoga and I would feel different in my body. So definitely um, my body felt better. I, and I think my mind was clearer. but it, without the meditation, it's just, it didn't have the same impact um, as far as being fully aware of my thoughts. Um, and so, and that, and that was the struggle. And also just finding, making the time because I would go to a yoga class um, when I could, but then I was always expecting that my personal practice had to be 60 or 90 minutes. Like if I didn't get the full 90 minutes, then it wasn't a class, which is, you know, but I, I, just, like, I get militant about my hobbies. I really do. I'm still working on that. But um, so like if I just had 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, oh, well, it's not worth it because I'm not getting the full like yoga, which... I think it's ridiculous now, but you know, then I didn't. So I would struggle with that. Um, But I was still making the effort and I did do, I I did do life coaching or I should say I had someone life coach me, uh, which really opened up my eyes to um, how, and I never considered myself like type A, but how drill sergeant I really was about, how things had to be and how I was constantly trying to control stuff so that helped me to release control Uh, there are things that I many many things that I can't control um and to just let it go and and allow more of um like going, like like I'm a, like I'm going down a river and I'm just sort of steering, but the river is guiding me. Uh, this river of life is guiding me, and I, I course correct, but I'm not like trying to paddle upstream, basically, which basically means I'm not getting anywhere. <laughs> uh, and so that was uh, just a little. I, I picked up different tools and skills uh, throughout that that oh gosh, the ten year. Twelve-year period, and I had thought I, I after. Well, the reason I wrote the book was I was going to write a book on mindful travel. Travel for um, I have a book for my travel business, uh, and uh, when I, I sat down and did a meditation like before writing the book, I realized, oh, okay, this isn't going to have anything to do with travel at all, and um, I I wish that I had had somebody that could have sat me down and just guided me and mentored me and like, look, you you don't have to, you don't have to struggle constantly, continuously. Uh, Here are some things that might make it easier or, or might help you in in how you deal with everyday stress, Um, stresses of just having kids, stresses of working, um, stresses of, Going on a deployment, yeah,
0: yeah, so getting back to the negative self talk and the imposter syndrome, how have the practices of mindfulness and meditation helped with that aspect of your life
1: I, I it's there it's there it's there, and i I think now I'm owning it better because before I'd be like, oh no, I'm not, but you know what, I really do have those tendencies, like even I was like, okay, I've got to get out of the house around you know it's drink o'clock time I gotta get out because I'm not drinking anymore and then I was like I'm gonna start golf and (laughs) but then I was like militant about oh my gosh I gotta practice I gotta practice I gotta practice and now it's not fun and I did I did that with like with dance class I would go and I'm like ah I gotta go I paid for these classes and now I have to do all of them before they expire and my husband's like just relax (laughs) So it is still there. It's something I, um, I do struggle with, even with my volunteering, it becomes, it's like, I think it, he's like, I think it's the Lieutenant Colonel or just the,
0: the military. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's instilled in you, right? Uh, I mean, it's, and it's tough to, tough to overcome, but, um, I think that you're on the right path and you've got a lot going on that is centered on stuff that is going to help you and and that, that being said, um, Warriors at Ease, can you tell us how you got involved with Warriors at and Ease, and, and for the listeners, uh, what Warriors at Ease is?
1: Yeah, so, uh, well, first of all, my, my, uh, my classmate... Um, Susan Alden she was the executive director of, of warriors at ease the previous one um, and so she was the one that that told me about that and, and asked if I would be willing to to be on the board or interview to be on the on the board of directors and so uh, this organization they 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 train yoga instructors to work with military populations to work with people um, that have post-traumatic stress that might have traumatic traumatic brain injuries, or that are missing limbs, uh, so adaptive yoga. So th- these populations, the wording that you use has got to be very specific, um, and you have to create that safe container, that safe space for them to have any sort of, even if you can say relaxation, or but just a sense of being secure or being safe That they might be able to just let go, and so there, there, there. Some yoga classes um, may not. You you can't create that that container just uh, on you know who the person is or or where the class is is located. And so they, they, they have that training and, uh, and then they, they bring yoga and mindfulness practices to military communities through offering their, their free classes, also veterans too. Um, and they'll, and they'll offer retreats, uh, for veterans, um, and just create that safe space for people to heal. It's, it's bringing the power of yoga and meditation for healing purposes.
0: So. Uh, With Veterans Path, I mean, we do a lot of the same as far as with mindfulness. What is the typical reaction when you tell people what you do with Warriors at Ease and with mindfulness?
1: It's positive, actually. Uh, People, I I think because it's not as um, elusive as maybe it used to be. I I do feel like it's... I don't want to say mainstream. I don't know that's one hundred percent mainstream in the military. But because the VA uses these practices as um, uh, alternative, complementary, and alternative care, I think that um, it's just there's more awareness now. I, in the active duty side, uh, it does really depend on the commander. So if the if the commander uh, has had experience with these particular practices, then that person uh, may be more Um, you know, excited to try them or to bring them into their unit. Uh, So there's like pockets of, of mindfulness I find uh, all over, but it's not uh, ubiquitous yet. Uh, So I, 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 it's, it's been positive. I did a, a, the, the Corps of Engineers South Pacific Division in San Francisco. So um, their commander, Brigadier General Kim Colleton, she is uh, friends with my husband. And so she saw one of his Facebook posts about my book. And so she invited me to go out to her unit and do a workshop uh, where I was, yeah, talking about the book, but also bringing them mindfulness practices. And And it was, it was very, very positive. Like they were receptive, even though, you know, those that, that hadn't tried it. Uh, and, and what I try to do is just make it relevant to them. So, like, there are there's many different types of yoga and many different types of meditation, and and because I am a soldier for life, right, a former soldier, like I'm not going to have them do something that is going to be uncomfortable or just seem strange like when I went to the yoga teacher training, and I love Kripalu, but we did some strange things there, like things that I thought were strange, Uh, being coming from a military background, I was like, I will never tell them that we did this. They're gonna be like, what? I mean, and I understand why we were doing stuff, you know, and it is, and I was ready to be open and to receive, uh, you know, just different experiences. But you know, like, no, if I'm trying to get someone to breathe for two minutes, I'm not going to make it uncomfortable for them. Uh, I want it to be inviting. And so uh, I, I do, I take out any language that uh, may not uh, just be something that would know, be natural for them. So I, I don't use the Sanskrit um, or I, I, mean, I don't chant when, I, when I'm when i teaching. Um, yeah, so it's just a very like uh, secular class, but also informative because if I want them to try it on their own or inspire them to try it on their own, then I've got to make it accessible. And and having them be like, no, you must meditate for 15 minutes. No. Like if someone's just starting, that's not not realistic.
0: (laughs) Got to start small. And I think you know, that is that is a common misperception for people that they think they have to jump right into, you know, 45-minute meditations. As far as uh, what I mentioned in your bio, you're being an advocate to have mindfulness practices as part of a regular resiliency program that starts in basic training and then continues throughout service. Uh, what are you doing to make that happen, and how can listeners help?
1: Yeah, well, I, and I'm just, it's just educating people. So, like... I, I would love to have this like grand campaign planned um, and and I've always thought like how if I if I was you know 18 to 25 year old uh, service member like what would inspire me to want to try to meditate because it, it seems like a lot of times the way that um, the military or or VA organizations approach meditation is this it's very serious and you had to have had trauma and you're going to be healed and it's just it it's kind of a downer there's got to be a way to make this fun it doesn't have to be serious like if I you know a 20 year old male and I'm not deployed and I haven't had what people might consider trauma I'm like why are you why do I need to meditate Fine, but there and so I, I I'm trying to I've been struggling with that, um, and I I, <laughs> I had had this crazy idea that I was like, well, what if I got like Ryan Reynolds to like do this mindfulness project? Like people would watch him because he's funny, you know? He could make it entertaining. Like you could imagine like him his voiceover <laughs> as he's meditating, but then maybe someone would watch that. And be like, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be so serious. Maybe I'll just sit and observe my thoughts for two minutes. And so, just by uh, inspiring people to try the the two minutes of breathing, which isn't a long time, and then just educating, you know, those that I come into contact with. So whether it's senior leaders here um, at Zama or the spouses here at Zama, like I, I've given a couple um, of talks. Uh, and just telling people my own personal stories about how I'll, I'll, you know, notice my thoughts spiraling out of control over something silly, uh, I think does does help. And just trying not to make it so serious. I don't want, you know, people to think that oh, she's this like meditator. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not like we don't have to take ourselves so seriously when it comes to just breathing, um, and. I, I just it's just getting the word out. That's you know what I find to be um just having these conversations. That's how people can help. It's it's have the conversation and it doesn't have to be in like this grand or this big uh you know, big setting. Um, It would be great if I could talk to Ryan Reynolds about this project. (laughs) Well, maybe he's (laughs) listening to the show, right? I will continue to try to just you know talk to the people that are around me. Uh, I don't do a whole lot on social media. I find that when I get in that space, that I get there's like, like I don't know if it's like, just ah, I can't. It's I get into the, what I call the three C's. I'm either trying to compare myself to someone. I'm competing. I'm trying to control. <laughs> so, so for me, the the social media is tough. But, uh, but I mean, I love interacting with people like like you, like this, or one on one, and and just talking, just having that, that conversation.
0: Sure. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons I love doing podcasts. I mean, I, I enjoy social media too, but you're right. You can totally get wrapped up in those three Cs. But yeah, talking one-on-one or corresponding via message uh, one-on-one, you definitely get a lot more connected that way. Um, going back to your book, um, how did you decide you were going to write a book? And what can you tell us about the book? The,
1: the book, um, yeah, that was, I was inspired to write that because I, I was like, I, I wish I had had that. It didn't. And if I can help someone, one person with my story and with the things that I've learned, then it's worth it. Uh, And, you know, yeah. So now it's out there. It was just like getting uh, just getting the message out. Like I felt. And I do feel that this is part of my divine assignment to bring this type of, uh, this message, this, 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 material to, to people that I care so much about, like the, the suicide rates that, that keep going up is it breaks. It, it's, it's, it's disheartening. And, uh, you know, if they, I don't know, I mean, I don't have, you know, I, I don't have research, but if, how do I know if I give them these these tools and these skills and basic training, and, and they they have that and they have the awareness and they they start using them daily? You know, could it prevent something like that? It, I, I don't know. It, it's not going to hurt.
0: Uh, that actually uh, brings up a question for me. Have, have you ever heard from anyone who knew nothing about mindfulness and then picking up your book became a practitioner?
1: There have been people that have uh, they come up to me and they're like. Wow! Like I, I, I read. Well, from one woman she was, um, she was listening to the audio version, which is not me, by the way. But the woman still does a really good job, and and she said she started crying within like the first minute of the book, and and people have have come up and and they've said, "Wow, you know, asking for help like I never would have." Yeah, I need to do that. Like I think it just sort of triggers people. Maybe just. Start slowing down a bit, um, and I, and and the the when I did that um, that workshop, one of the soldiers came up to me and gave me a big hug, and he was like, "Thank you so much, just for sharing your story of struggle," because at that moment he was going through something, a, a depression or something, and he just it was he needed to hear that someone else had been there and had gone through it, and so I. I haven't had anyone directly say that they, that, you know, they read the book and then they started trying the breathing, but I just from those interactions and, and the ones that I, I have that where people come up and, and just talk about a tidbit in the book that um, that spoke to them, I have to think that it is, it is helping some people or inspiring someone to just sit down and, and try to, to do a breathing exercise for two minutes.
0: Well, if it's if it's inspired one person, then it was worth it, and you know if that has changed one person's life, it was worth it. We're coming to the end of our show here, Benef. What else would you like our audience to know, or what have we not discussed that you would like to make sure we cover?
1: Uh I just, I, you know, just just try it. <laughs> That's what I. I'll just say, just try the two minutes of breathing. You know, I, I love the Insight Timer app because I can set it two minutes, um, and. And, and then it, it's done, you know, and it, it, it really can, two minutes of deep breathing really can make a difference and it doesn't have to be so serious. Like that's, that's the one thing I just, it's meditation is not hippie. <laughs> it doesn't have to be serious. It's just building a relationship with yourself. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, you know, that, that's the, one of the most important relationships You know, if you're spiritual with God and, you know, or your, um, higher power. And then of course with yourself. So it's like,
0: yeah, just try. Well, there you go. Simple enough. Just try. So if people wanted to reach out to you, Benef, what's the best way for them to contact you?
1: Oh, well, yeah. So, um, Benef at military and Definitely email me. Uh, that's the best way or, you know, reach out to me on Instagram. Um, Benef Varel. Yeah, sure.
0: Awesome. Well, Benef, this has been great. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story, sharing your book with us, your practices with uh, uh, Warriors at Ease, and uh, and everything else that you're doing to be an advocate for mindfulness within the military. Uh, I certainly appreciate it, and I know your story will resonate with our listeners. Uh, even though you have a sign above your head uh, that says something about beating Navy, uh, we'll let you slide. because. Uh, Uh, We are all one big happy family here in our military, and uh, and I love everyone that is serving our country, and thank you for what you do. So anyhow, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Have a great day. For our listeners, thanks for listening to our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We, too, are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying our podcast, I ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.